Now, generally, when you make something, there's a purpose for it, a design to it, a reason you're doing it. You ever stop to wonder why you were created? What God's design for you was? His purpose? The Westminster Confession states that the chief end of man, in other words, our main duty, what we were designed and created to do, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify is to exalt, to praise, to adore. In other words, we glorify God when we worship Him. That's what we're created for, designed for. But that's only half of it. You can't leave out the second part of the statement because we are also created to enjoy Him forever, it says. Do you enjoy God? Or does that seem like a strange concept for you? Serve, respect, honor, perhaps fear, but enjoy? The writers understood that you can never fully enjoy God without worship. The two go hand in hand. Because it's in our worship that our spirits are set free to touch the one we are created to be in fellowship with. C.S. Lewis observed, fully to enjoy is to glorify. And in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And wonderful things happen when we do this. Theodore Jennings said, God's mirth roars in our veins and we are alive and enlivened by it. The church father Arrhenius put it this way, the glory of God is the man fully alive And the life of man is the vision of God. We are never as fully alive as when we are before the giver of life himself. And that's because, as that short short statement put it, it's in worship that we best fulfill the purpose for which God makes us. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright said, because it is what we were created for, worship makes us more truly human. When we gaze in love and gratitude at the God in whose image we were made, we grow and we discover more of what it means to be fully alive. But to do anything less, to give our adoration to anything less, he says, makes us shrink as a human being. For something as important as this, do we really give much thought to what we're doing and saying and singing each week? Or do we take it for granted as something to do? That's why I've been talking about worship these past several weeks, hoping that at least it'll get us thinking about what it is we are doing and seek meaning in it. For as William Barclay pointed out, in any worship Time, you, the congregation, will preach more than half the sermon because you are the ones that bring and create the atmosphere, which is either a barrier or an aid to your worship. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago one of my pet peeves, and I believe one of the biggest errors in many contemporary churches today is a misunderstanding of worship because they define it merely as the singing, as the music. But then what does that make everything else that we do? The prayer, isn't that worship? The offering, 
the sharing, the scripture reading, the preaching, communion itself. If worship is merely the music we sing, all the rest of this becomes merely an auxiliary. Yet when you read scripture, you see it's all worship. Repeatedly, we are told to sing and make music to the Lord, an important part of our worship. The book of Psalms is the Jewish hymnal. Yet in places like Luke 4, we see that in the life of Jesus himself, when the people gathered for worship in the synagogue, they heard the words spoken and preached. And by far, most instructions given in Scripture about worship relate to the offerings and the sacrifices. Because our giving is a part of our worship. But since music is so highly regarded... I thought it might be fun to take a minute and ask, what might it sound like in the ears of God if the words truly reflected what's going on in our minds when we sing? It might sound something like this short video taken from a service at the First Baptist Church of Orlando a few years ago.
certainly that doesn't describe any of our thoughts. It does raise the issue, what are we really thinking about as we sing each Sunday? I mean, God already knows what's in our hearts and our minds. What is he here? How we worship is a reflection of how we treat God. Because as I've said repeatedly the past several weeks, worship is all about him and not us. But in saying this, we have to expand our view of worship also beyond just what we do together on Sunday mornings, which is where the verse I want us to look at this morning comes into play, because in it, Paul makes clear that our worship really involves far more than what happens when we're together. Worship is a way of life. Paul begins in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, with that simple word, therefore, as I've mentioned before, whenever you see that word, it means what is to come is in conclusion to what he had just written. It's like saying, now what? How do I respond? In this case, he's saying, in light of everything I've written in the previous 11 chapters of Romans, in light of all God's great deeds, in light of everything that God has done for you in Christ, in light of the fact that you are saved in Christ, in Him you're redeemed, you're justified, you're sanctified, in light of the fact that in Christ, His grace has been poured out upon you, you've been set free from your sin and from the law and from death, in light of the fact that you've now raised with Christ and death has no power over you, in light of all these things that Paul had told them they already experienced in Christ, therefore, he says, this is now what you do about it. This is how to respond. Again, N.T. Wright said, telling the story and rehearsing the mighty acts of God is at the heart of Christian worship. We know God through what he's done in creation, in Israel, supremely in Jesus, and what he's done in his people and the world through the Holy Spirit. Christian worship is praise of this God, the one who has done all these things, and the place we find the God-giving account of these events is, of course, Scripture, his word. Take a moment to reflect on what God has done for you. It's essential to your worship. He strengthens it further by saying, therefore, I urge you. He's not just asking. He's pleading with them because that's what the word urge means. In light of all that God has done for you, all that you did not deserve or earn, Therefore, he says, I plead with you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's love, his compassion, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. To offer up something to God means you make it available to him. You place it at his disposal for his use. It says, as living sacrifices, not something that's a one-time thing. You make a commitment and then you move on but a living sacrifice is a continual offering to God. In reference to this, one writer said, worship ought to kill us, because in it we learn to deny ourselves and become living sacrifices. We are to be, as all sacrifices are, holy and pleasing or set apart to God. For this, Paul says, is your spiritual act of worship. Or as one version puts it, this is true and proper worship. 
Are you grateful for your salvation? For all God has done in your life? How are you or how will you respond to him and show it? Paul says the appropriate way is through offering of yourself as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You know, if someone gives you a present or does something significant for you, it's only natural to respond in expressions of gratitude. It shouldn't be different for the Lord. We respond to him in gratitude. And our gratitude will be expressed far more by our actions and changed lives than by our words or the words of a song we sing. The passage here is written in terms of worship. But it's not worship just in sense of prayers or songs and all the rest, but in terms of sacrifice and offering, specific deeds. And this can often be a neglected aspect of our worship because we don't like to talk about offerings and sacrifices and tithes and all those kind of things. It's far more pleasant to talk about God's blessings. What has God done for me? What is he going to do? Then how I respond to him in an offering of myself. But central to all worship in scripture were the offerings and the sacrifices. In fact, it was unheard of for the people of God to worship God apart from these. The primary description of worship throughout the Old Testament is through the offerings and sacrifices. People understood that you do not come to God empty-handed, not trying to pay Him off for the things you did wrong in your life, but rather as a response of His love and grace and acknowledgement of what He's done. The way we express gratitude is how we live our lives every day as a spiritual act of worship. And our songs, our prayers, all of these can be done without reflecting the state of our lives and our hearts, but our actions show what we really care about. We worship God by lifestyle. How we live far more than what we say when we sing or come together. Because a worship is a giving of ourselves to God. A.W. Tozer said that if we will not worship God seven days a week, we cannot worship Him one day a week. We need to learn to move beyond worship just on Sunday mornings to worshiping every day. The word worship comes from the English word meaning to ascribe worth. The Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 16 says, ascribe to the Lord, O family of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. How you ascribe worth in your life is seen by what influences your life, what you build it around. If you're building around your life around things, you're ascribing worth to them. And that, in essence, is what you've come to worship. If you're building your life around a relationship, you are ascribing worth to that. You are worshiping that. If you're building it around food or clothing or entertainment, then those are the things you value. You are ascribing worth to them and worshiping them with your actions, your lives. But if it's the Lord, you build your life around Him. You ascribe worth to Him through your actions. 
And that becomes the primary and most appropriate way to express your gratitude to the one who saves you. In saying, offer your bodies, Paul shows that our actions are important. Believing in Jesus is not just intellectual, it's practical. And so in speaking to the Corinthians about how to live and build their lives acceptable to God, he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit works in you or lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Well, what's the purpose of a temple? It's a place to worship, a place where God's presence is acknowledged. God says you are God's temple. As God's temple, a place devoted to worship, where God's presence and activity are acknowledged, that's how you are to live your life in offering up yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship, we become aware of the reality of God with us. In everything we do, we become aware of Emmanuel. And our actions then become an expression of our faith and a part of our worship because we're offering up our lives to God. Richard Foster wrote, Slowly I came to see that God desired to be not on the outskirts, but at the heart of my experience. Gardening was no longer an experience outside of my relationship with God. I discovered God in the gardening. Swimming was no longer just good exercise. It became an opportunity for communion with God. God in Christ had become the center. He had learned to worship God as a living sacrifice. It's what Brother Lawrence was talking about when he talked about practicing the presence of God. But we have a choice. Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and we can choose to either accept or reject his sacrifice. But after we accept it, God does not coerce us. He calls us to offer ourselves to him. The nature of a sacrifice is that it costs. Does it cost us anything to be a follower of Christ? to live as God's people. In our lives throughout the week, does it really cost us as we now are living? If we're polluting our bodies with things like gossip or envy or jealousy or lying, our bodies then become an impure, unacceptable sacrifice. It blocks our worship. William Barclay says of this verse that worship here means dedicating one's life to it. And true worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, and a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. And in that context, the way I perform my duties at work becomes an expression of my worship. The way I treat others becomes an expression of my worship. The way I prepare or teach becomes an expression of worship. Oswald Chambers said, My life as a worker is the way I say thank you to God for his unspeakable salvation. And if you kept reading in Romans verse 2, that's where that verse comes in, which talks about, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because as we come to worship God with our lives... Change happens. We conform less to the world 
we're transformed more to the image of our Savior. Our lives are affected. Our minds are affected. Our hearts are affected. Worship becomes a way of living. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. You know, in a day when professional sports sometimes seems to be more about the greed of the owners and the players than the love of the game, there is a story that came out of Europe just two or three years ago, which was really remarkable and refreshing. It was about an American soccer player named, and I don't know how to pronounce his name, Oguchi Onyegu. Uh, he plays for the AC Milan Soccer Club in Milan, Italy. He was hurt in the first game of the season, out almost an entire year with in- injury, so he only got to play in one game. His contract was coming up at the end of the season, and he was a good player, and even though he had only played in a single game, people still expected him to demand and hold out for a larger contract to reflect his true worth, like every other player we hear about nowadays does. That's what everyone else would do, and that's what was expected of him. And that's where his story became remarkable, because when the time came, he did indeed demand a new contract. He demanded a one-year extension of his contract. The remarkable part, that he demanded a contract in which he was paid nothing. People were shocked. Why would he do such a thing? And when they asked him, he said that the team had done so much for him, given him so much, even though he was unable to play for the whole year because of his injury, he still got paid for doing nothing. And now out of his sense of loyalty and gratitude to the team, he felt he had to give something back. God has already done so much for us in Christ. In the midst of our sin and our selfishness and our failings, he stands by us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. In gratitude, shouldn't we also want to give back? Worship, a lifetime and a lifestyle of worship, is an opportunity for gratitude. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper, your spiritual act of worship. And so I want to end this series on worship as we begin it with Lord's Supper. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him, his life, his death, his resurrection, his return someday, and our salvation that results from them. It's an opportunity for us to identify with his sacrifice. And as we prepare to partake together, it's a time to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond to what he's done for us to worship him, not just this morning through an act, but every day of our lives? Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that you have offered and given so much and that we can come to you now in remembrance of our Savior, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, and his return someday. We thank you, God, for this precious gift that enables us to worship you, to live for you, 
because Christ lives for us and in us. Thank you now in Jesus' name. Bless me now, gentle Savior.